We serve a God who wants to do more. More abundantly than all we could ask or think. I want you to focus in on that little word more. Okay, more, more. In fact, let's just say it. He wants to do far what? More. More. Let's try that. He, He wants to do far more. God wants to do more than we could ever ask or think. More than you have ever asked. And more than you could ever think. In Ephesians chapter 3, look at the beginning of the chapter. Paul opens this chapter with, um, it looks to me like he's about to begin a prayer. So you have in verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, right here, I think he's about to pray. So if you skip down to verse 14, you see that. Verse 14, he says, For this reason, so he's repeating that phrase, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And then he begins his prayer. But we have this long parenthetical you know, paragraph or two in between. It's like... He's in the middle of about to start his prayer and then a a thought by way of the Holy Spirit comes to Paul and he starts thinking out loud. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe you guys are, are not really aware of the mystery that God has given to me to reveal. Maybe you're not quite aware. I should probably make you aware. I don't want to assume. Look at verse two. Assuming that you've you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Pause right there for a minute. Here's the mystery Paul's talking about. It's that me and you, unless you're a Jew, you and I are Gentiles and we are welcomed into the family of God by way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the mystery that's been revealed to Paul is that we are now one family. Like there's no longer a division between Jew and Gentile. We are made one. We're in one household. This is the beauty of the church. It's how he's going to describe the church. So look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Aren't you thankful that Paul, among many others now, have been missionaries to you and to me because we're Gentiles? Like because of his, his calling to preach to the Gentiles, we've now heard of the unsearchable riches of our God. And we've been welcomed in to a family. Verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan. That word is stewardship. What is the stewardship of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What is the mystery that was hidden for ages? Just to recap. 
the mystery that was hidden for ages is that Jew and Gentile will be grafted in together into one family, one chosen people. And this has been the, the message of the whole book so far. And we're going to recap in just a minute to look at all of that. But, and here we come to it, y'all. Here's the glory of what we're experiencing today. Verse 10. So that through, what's it say? The church. Look at, look at it. So that through what? The church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? To rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This has tripped me up until this week. And the Lord blew my mind. And that's why I said at the beginning, I hope to blow your mind. Because here's what Paul is telling you. Who are these rulers and authorities in heavenly places? It's angelic beings. These are the angels, both evil and righteous. You know what? This has been a mystery to them. They've been watching God work all this time. And they're they're like curiously looking in. What's going on? This is awesome. But they don't know. But the manifold wisdom of God is now being made known to the angels, including Satan. The angels, the demonic and beautiful, glorious, angelic beings. The wisdom of God is being made known to them by what? The church. I want to say two things to us today before we move into talking about our vision. Two things. I'm going to reiterate these points, but here they are. The church is more than you think. The church is more than you think it is. And we live in a culture that is plagued with an epidemic of thinking too little about what we're doing today. We are not a place you go and a thing you do on the weekend. We are a new people. We are the kingdom of God who are making known the manifest wisdom of God to angelic beings. This is not a little thing. The church is more than you think. We'll talk about that. And then secondly, and I can't wait to get to this. God can do more than you think. God can do more than you think. The church is more than you think, and God can do more than you think. What I'm attempting to do in a very short amount of time is I want to preach to you these three chapters. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. So a quick recap of what Paul has done so far. In chapter 1, Paul opens this letter reminding us of the blessings we've received from God. He starts out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're in chapter 1, verse 3. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Look where? In the heavenly places. And look at verse 4. Even as he chose us. Now he's writing to the church at Ephesus, which is full of Gentiles. And listen to what he says. He chose us. I want you to see the parallel because this is the story Paul's writing. He's saying God didn't just choose Israel. He chose us. And when Paul says us, he means me and you. And Paul uses us strategically because Paul's a Jew and he's writing to Gentiles. And he's saying he chose 
us. This is the story. And Paul's telling a story to the church about what they really are. He goes on. He says in chapter 1 that we have obtained an inheritance. That we are predestined to adoption as sons. Meaning that we have an inheritance with this God. That this almighty God has done all that's necessary to adopt you into his family. Get Get the picture he's trying to paint. You're welcomed in. You've been adopted in. You're a part of this family. Adopted. Inheritance. All those words are family words. Chapter 1 is describing the church as a family. And then he ends with a different illustration in chapter 1. He ends with the illustration of a body. A body of which Christ is the head. And this head is has dominion over all things. I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to what? The church. Jesus is the head of this church. Which is his what? Body. So we we have a Lord who has resurrected and gone to heaven, but he still has a body. His body's still meant to be doing things. Doing what he did. And what is that body? The church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you think Paul would ever say, you know, church is not a big deal. Would Paul ever say that? And don't hear me like I'm not trying to convict you for doing something else on Sundays. Not the goal. That will not even be a problem if we think rightly about the church. What I want you to hear is the word of God saying, the church is more than you think it is. That's chapter one. Chapter two, we see a story unfold of us as individuals. How did you come into this family? And it starts out, we, you, Paul saying, you were dead. In your trespasses and sins. This is how the adoption happened. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world. Following after the evil one. And here we have the same idea again of powers and principalities. You have the exact same words. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We're talking about those heavenly beings that are now, through the church, discovering the manifold wisdom of God. But in chapter 2, Paul says, you are being led astray by them, by him and them. You were fulfilling uh, passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body as children of wrath. And then verse 4, but God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. Woo! Right? This is how you're adopted into the family. You as an individual, this is what makes you a part of this body. But it's not just about you. It's much bigger than you. Chapter 2 goes on to say, look, 
That's how you came in. But I want you to see broader what Jesus was actually doing. And he starts describing in chapter 2 about this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile that somehow or another we've thought all these years that God only chose them. Look at this. He says, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Listen, hear what Jesus did. He broke down the dividing wall and He built bridges. Bridges of grace and mercy. Now, in case you're confused and you don't remember, He's still talking about the church. What is the church? Look at the end of this chapter. So then, verse 19, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. He uses this, this, this other illustration about being like part of a, like, like a, almost like a country, a nationality. You're a new nation. You're fellow citizens. But now you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Look here. The church. And I'm not talking about the building, right? We meet in a movie theater, okay? The building doesn't really have much to do with it. But I want you to see something. What Paul's saying here is you collectively, this this group, you are the dwelling place of Almighty God. Do you think highly enough about the church? The church is more than you think. And in chapter 3, Paul wants to pray for us. Pray for them and ultimately for us. He wants to pray, but he can't get there until he says, I'm telling you, verse 10, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is now being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I want to talk about this word for just a minute. The manifold wisdom of God. God. What in the world does that even mean, right? Let me tell you what the word manifold means. You're going to love this. I love this. Here's what it means. Many colored. Isn't that good? It's, it's the word where we get our word from mosaic. It's this idea of a it's like super diverse, beautiful collision. The manifold wisdom of God is now being made known how? Through the what? The church. We are so different, all of us. And that's the beauty. The beauty of the body is that we are so different. I'm going to talk more about this in a minute. But the manifold wisdom of God is being made known through the church. So I'm speaking now specifically about the church is more than you think. I just want to give you some thoughts under that. The church is the body 
Jesus is the head. That's what we get from chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. The end of chapter 2. The church is the temple in which God dwells. And then at the end of chapter 3, so Paul ends every chapter with talking about what the church is. Right? The church is the body, Christ is the head. Chapter 2 ends with the church is the temple in which God dwells. And chapter 3 ends with this glorious picture in verse 21. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And what I want to say is chapter 3 is saying that this is, we, this is a theater. And Christ is the main character of the drama of the glory of God. We are, as the church, we're the theater and Christ is the main character of this story that's displaying the glory of God to everyone. The church is more than you think. I want to focus in on this next point. God can do more than you think. I want to ask you specifically Are you dreaming about the church as the chosen means for God's glory? Think about that question a minute. Are you dreaming and thinking and asking, God, what do you want to do through your church to display your glory? Are you dreaming about what your role is in that beautiful drama that God is unfolding for us and that we've been welcomed into? Are you thinking about how God may want to use your life for His glory? And are you asking Him to glorify Himself through this church? I just wanted to pose some questions for you. So... One of my first weeks here as your pastor, um, we spent some time in Mark chapter 8 in a sermon series called Dream Again. Anybody remember that? Mm. (laughs) Uh, It's all online if you want to remember, okay? Um, So we spent some time in Mark chapter 8. We just talked about dreaming big dreams. And as I was reading in Ephesians 3 again... Ephesians this week, I just thought, you know what, my dreams are so small. The things I think and the things I hope for are so small. And even those things, I think they're out of reach. And God is like, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. To him who is able. And so I just, I want to kind of relive a little bit and, and retool. I went back and read through my notes from one of those messages and I remember I began a message by pointing to one of the greatest dreamers in all American history. His name's Martin Luther King. We talked about the impact of his life and his dreams on our culture and how his death changed our world. Many of us are too far removed from that or honestly haven't had enough um, culture to really feel it. Some of us can. Martin Luther King is known 
for a famous speech where he spelled out some of his dreams with the phrase, I have a dream. Right? That was my impression. (laughs) I encourage you, watch that speech. I have a dream. I want to ask you, if it were your job to give that speech, what would you say? And are you dreaming like you're a part of this glorious church? And are you dreaming like you have this glorious God who wants to make it happen? Because He wants to do far, what? More. So at Mountain View Church, as we begin 2019, I want to ask you to dream again. I do have some dreams. I want to share some of them with you. My life has been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. We read my story just a minute ago in Ephesians chapter 2. It started this way. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. But God made you alive. That's my story. Been transformed by the power of the gospel. I was a mess, but Jesus rescued me. So I want to give my life to helping others to know Him and be changed by Him. I believe that God has a mission to rescue more people and He intends to use His church to accomplish this task. So as one of your pastors, I have a dream to see Mountain View Church become and be a gospel-centered family. That everything we do and say is centered on that beautiful reality that Jesus came to rescue us. We were desperately hopeless. And now we are filled with hope because of the gospel. Gospel Gospel-centered family that takes bold steps of faith. That you as an individual, as God gives you a dream, that you'll, you'll say, here's what I think God wants me to do. And you'll do it. And that we as a church will rally around you. How can we help you do what God's put in your heart to do? We'll take bold steps of faith. And we'll be a family that's known for our crazy love. Crazy love for each other and for others, for outsiders, for those who are not yet part of the body of Christ. Crazy kind of love. The kind of love that people would go, you're crazy. So those are three things that we have a hope, Romans 5 says, that will not disappoint. That we're called to live faith. We're called to walk out the faith that God's given us. That we actually believe in a God who's going to do crazy, awesome things that we could never do. But we take steps of faith dependent on Him. And then thirdly, that we live with this crazy kind of love so those three words right hope faith and what love are those familiar to you at the end of first corinthians 13 paul writes this whole chapter about love you probably had it read at your wedding right at the end of the chapter he says this these three abide faith hope and love The greatest of these is love. 
So here we are. We want to be a people, and I'll walk through this in just a minute, who are resting in the hope of Christ. We want to be a people who are walking in faith. We want to be a people who are pursuing in love. And I'll talk about those in just a minute. Let me give you some specifics here. These are, these are identity markers. These are, are things that we hope to be, what we want to try to be. This is who we are. Notice, these are not statements that are directives about what we want to do necessarily. It's who we want to be. We want to be people defined by our hope, by our faith, and by our love. Like this is, These are identity things. I, I believe that there's this cycle that we, work, that we walk through. It's what we know impacts who we are, know, be, and then that changes what we do. Know, be, do, and that impacts what we do, impacts what we know. It's this cycle, right? What you know impacts who you are, and that impacts what you do. So I really want to focus right here on what, who we are as a people. So out of our identity, I hope to see us accomplish some amazing things together. hope to see God do far more. So some of those things. I want to see us become a people who are devoted to prayer and defined by worship. Um, our elders have been dreaming together and having um, a dedicated time of prayer um, every week. And we've been talking a lot about the need for um, a, a, just a healthier spiritual climate in our body, in this, in this body. And one of the things that we're sort of dreaming and wanting to see is like um, this place to be a, a place where maybe before worship, maybe there's a place, maybe here, maybe there, I don't know. But a, a spot where I just love to see 30, 40, 50 people, maybe more, just gathered in here praying. Just praying like, God, mm, this week we need you. And maybe there's dedicated spots where we're praying for our missionaries that we support. We're praying for um, our worship team. You're praying for me as I'm preaching the word that I would honor this, this word and our Savior. You're praying for all these things. Maybe you're praying for your own walk with the Lord. But to have that prayer be something that's a, a definer of who we are. Like this is something I would love to see happen. That we're devoted to prayer and we're defined by our worship. When I talk about worship, I'm not just talking about songs we sing. Like that's part of it, but that's not, that's not it. I mean, I want us to be worshipers on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. When you go to work, I want you to worship God at work. What, what does that mean? You know, the Bible says in Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. So when you go to work or when you go to the grocery store, like... Worship. Give God glory. Worth. I want us to be a people who are constantly ascribing worth to our God. Next, and this is huge. I long for unity among God's people. I don't know that I've prayed for you and not prayed for unity. I pray for Mountain View Church every day, and I don't know that I've ever prayed for this church and not prayed for unity. Just, it's just 
begging God to do this unifying thing. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays specifically for our unity. Lord, I pray that they would be one as we are one. And I want to see this miraculous kind of unity. A miraculous kind of unity. And here's where the manifold wisdom of God matters. Alright, so... If all of us look the same, all of us like the same things, all of us act the same way, all of us come from the same kind of heritage, unity is just really easy. It's very natural. There's nothing supernatural about it. But when there's this crazy kind of diversity where we don't look the same, we don't act the same, we don't like the same stuff, and yet we come together because we're brought into a a household of God by the blood of Jesus... We who were far off have been brought near and we are now making known the manifold wisdom of God through unified diversity. That's something that Martin Luther King prayed about, talked about, dreamt about as well. But it's not just his dream. This is God's dream for us is that we would be a kingdom people. I want us as a family to look more and more like we're going to look for all eternity. And on the scope of eternity, it's going to be every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, right? I'm dreaming of making disciples and planting churches where the gospel is deeply needed. So I'm thinking about partnerships that we already have and linking up and working with them across the world. We've got, I'm just going to name two. We've got one in Lebanon. Uh, Chris Todd, you help support him and provide for him a van. But we... We're going to go to him in April and work alongside him. I want to do that more and more and more. We've got teams going to Haiti to work with Gary Hippolyte. This is the kind of thing we've got to be going with the gospel. Taking the mission. Taking the gospel to the world. So I want to ask you, will you go this year? Will you help send someone this year? God's manifest wisdom is being made known through his mission. And he wants to do far more. I want to see some hurting segments of our community find help through Jesus. Every week, and here lately it's been very exciting, but every week on Thursday nights, there's about 100 people. Steve, is that about right? About 80 to 100 people that are coming for Celebrate Recovery. What an incredible opportunity to love someone who's looking for hope. To point some people to Jesus who are kind of looking for where, where to go next. To help people who are in crisis. To kind of put their feet on some solid ground. It's a beautiful ministry and I'm so thankful for uh, Stephen and Lou and others who have said this is a passion that I want to be a part of. <coughs> thankful that as a church we do this but we we may not know exactly how to fix the fatherless epidemic we may not know exactly how to fix poverty issues or addiction struggles or suicidal thoughts or you name it abortion statistics we may not know exactly how to fix all of that but we have the antidote for the worst disease of human nature which is sin and his name is Jesus Christ We may not know all the answers, but He does. So will you join in gospel work at CR? 
If you want to, I know they'll find a place for you to serve. This is a place where his manifold wisdom is being made known. And he wants to do far more. I'm dreaming that we'll have eyes to see some of the biggest needs around us and ears to hear the cries for the help of the cries for help of the hurting all around us. And we'll have the courage and faith to leverage our lives for gospel transformation. Leverage our lives. Some of this is happening. Some of you are living this way. I commend you. I'm encouraged by you. So I want to remind you, C.T. Studd said this quote. It's stuck with me for a long time, but this is what C.T. Studd said. He said, there's only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So I'm going to preach uh, in a few weeks. I'm going to take a week on each of these topics. For this morning, I just want to walk through them quickly as we finish. I want and dream of us at Mountain View Church being a people who are resting in hope. I want you to just notice a few things. We chose these, these three words from 1 Corinthians 13 because the Bible says these three abide. Hope, you know, faith, hope, and love. And then these verbs are progressive in, in, mo- in movement, right? We're resting, we're walking, we're pursuing, we're progressive. But I want you to think about this. We rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. What we mean by that is we're not trying to have hope. We're not working to have hope. We're not. It's not out of our effort that we have hope. It's out of what Jesus has done and we are resting in his finished work. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. We rest in him and in him we have a hope. Romans 5 says that will not disappoint we rest in his hope secondly we want to be a people who are walking in faith what does that look like well it looks like first of all being a body being the body of christ committing to one another being committed to each other connected to one another developing each other discipling each other sending one another out going faith bold steps of faith Walking it out. First John 1 says, walk in the light as he is in the light. And you will have fellowship with one another, fellowship with God. Walking in faith. Thirdly, pursuing in love. Jesus was asked, Jesus, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? We, we know the ten, but which, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love who? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, right? And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus gave another command to his disciples and he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, John 13. And here it is, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the standard's really high for our love, right? The standard's really high for our love. So when we talk about pursuing in love, here's what we chose a really active, strong verb here because we want to be pursuing God in worship, 
in worshipful love, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, pursuing Him in love, and pursuing our world with love, pursuing others, not, not, not like the evangelism, you know, tackle, whatever that thing was years ago. Anyway, not like that. Um, but pursuing people with the love of Christ. Pursuing people with love. Again, these are identity things that I think need to define us as a church. We are a church who are resting in the hope of Jesus. Walking in the faith that we have in Jesus. And pursuing the Lord and pursuing others with the love of Jesus. Is this something you think you can remember? Resting in hope, walking in faith, pursuing in love. I want this to drive us, to be our identity, who who we are. Two things I told you. One, the church is more than you think. The church is more than you think. And God can do more than you think.